Hey folks, welcome back for another episode of Biomass. We're in episode 182. We've got the usual crew joining us today, and we've got a lot of topics to cover, so let's get started with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Soraya Zell. Hi, I'm Soraya Zell. Um, I do this podcast, I do another podcast, I play some video games, and that's that's my life. What are you playing right now? Shh. Nothing, of course. Nothing, okay. <laughs> I am I am intently paying attention to the podcast. <laughs> All right, Jay, you're up, man. Okay. All right. My name's Jay, and uh, I'm also one of the co-hosts here on Biomast. And I've actually had a fairly busy week. Uh, I do a, a random number of things. Uh, I, I do actually have a job, which prevents me from playing video games and po- concentrating on podcasts while about video games while not actually playing video games, if you see what I did there. Uh, but I do have a couple things from 182. It's actually one of my favorite numbers in the world, the reason why. Uh, there was a movie way back in the day with Robert Urich uh, called Turk 182. Pretty interesting. It's kind of like your classic 80s uh, adventure progressive sort of like fighting the man movie. Pretty good. Uh, it's also uh, part of the title of Blink 182, which is one of my, I'm not going to say a favorite punk band, but it's kind of a, a nouveau punk band, uh, you know, American punk, punk band, quite a few of you are probably uh, familiar with. Listen to quite a bit of their music, you know, from time to time. And let's see what else do I got on 182. I think that's that's pretty much it. Yep, I, I'm sure there's about a thousand other one other things I can, I can probably do, but hey. <laughs> All right, sounds good, man. Livy, you're up. Fun fact: Turk went same cassette that I taped over. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger, I forgot what I put over it, but um, one of the parental units were not very happy about. I am Livy. I. All right, sounds good. And bait. Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> My name is Bate, and uh, I am a very freezing uh, Florida man. Winter is in full effect right now. In France, you're not... at? <laughs> Northeast Florida, my dude. Dude, I'm north of you, and it ain't cold at dude, all. I was okay. I was in Georgia uh, over my Veterans Day tent camp, and uh, 40 degrees at night was not pleasant. Dude, in the 40 camp. degrees. Let me break out the fucking lip balm and fleece jammies for you. Are you joking me? Yeah, I am not joking. Hey man, like I'm, at some point I'm really I'm gonna take I'm gonna go take you up to Montana with me where I'm where I'm elk hunting at. Okay. Been in Montana, I have. But don't talk shit about being cold in like ooh scary Northeast Florida. My God, watch out for the fucking Yetis. Holy shit. Hey, fuck you, man. Hey, get off my lawn. <laughs> All right, we'll do. And, and and for once, Bates not actually driving a vehicle when the podcast starts. I'm I I'm know. proud of you. You made it home on time. I did, yeah. All right, uh, and of course, I am Pokey Draven. I help uh, host the show here. Um, I do our dungeon crawl series with Libby. We started a couple new games. We'll talk about that later in the show. And uh, yeah, just uh, been playing those games mostly. Um, kind of focusing on a real busy busy week with work um but we did do the dungeon crawl stuff and it was pretty good so we'll we'll talk about that in a bit here but to start things off um deadpool we all like deadpool right uh so apparently deadpool had a full spread piece in good housekeeping and the cover of this is amazing did you guys check this out mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah, he, uh, they actually, uh, if, if you had signed up on the uh, mailing list for Deadpool stuff, uh, they actually emailed this out um, in addition to the, the regular news cycle of things. Is it a full, like, issue of Good Housekeeping, or is it just like, a, like oh my god, Deadpool, a little, little blurb? I wasn't quite clear on there, that. There are several 
ex- you know, there are several exclusive recipes, okay. segments, letters, sections, etc. Yeah, he's got like his uh, own little section. Like I uh, fortunately good housekeeping web newsletter. A little ping came. I thought it was a joke. It from like what the hell is this? I'm like no way, no. And so I started spamming my family. Thought. I mean, to put it in perspective, we've we've got some some one-liners on the cover here. You know, come for the gift, stay for the package, or tis the season to put the fun back in dysfunctional, or turkey tips, giving your family the bird. So, I mean, it's 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 all pretty much on point for for what you would expect. But it just it looks amazing with Deadpool in a hideous hideous Christmas apron holding a, a turkey dinner. It's it's pretty amazing. Thus begins the online media blitz. Oh yes, and um, when's when's Deadpool due to come out? June. I keep forgetting. June. Well, yep. that's still a ways off. They're already they're already hitting it. So yeah, but you know, I tell you what, if there was anything, one, the movie was pretty solid, but the genius behind all of that was a very efficient, low cost viral marketing campaign. And this is this is based, I, I guarantee you're going to see a steady buildup of kind of the same thing, and they'll probably splurge a little bit here and there with one of these things, but like. You're probably not going to see a whole lot of. If they're smart, they will basically maintain that formula. You're not going to see like a you know, bunch of Avengers style trailers and stuff popping out. But uh, they're absolutely classic. Some of the Twitter stuff coming out of the, the Deadpool Twitter and the Ryan Reynolds Twitter uh, was absolute comedy gold. You know, for about the six months prior to the uh, prior to that movie coming out. I hope they really follow kind of that same thing. Yeah, I was very impressed with how they got the word out and really didn't spend much at all a lot of it was just you know like you said twitter facebook stuff like that which is i mean there's there's some advertising costs involved but you know if you're watching ryan reynolds Reynolds on twitter it's not going to cost him to tweet anything and that definitely got things going so you know they they did a really good job and you know i I do hope that we can kind of enjoy some of the gags that they they did you know running up to i think my favorite probably for the first film was uh the we're gonna look make it look like it's a valentine's day uh oh, <laughs> movie yeah. that that was like as long as one girl got got tricked into going to see that film thinking it was like a valentine's day flick totally worth it like, uh, i am spot. absolutely on board with that <laughs> <laughs> but yes yeah, so that's that's pretty good stuff and you know of course we we like to to cover all things deadpool related so you know it's uh we'll, we'll of course keep you updated anything we find out but uh, we'll get a link in the description for uh the cover and and how you can take a look at all this stuff because it is pretty funny so i do suggest you check it out but uh in line with uh superhero stuff on a little more sort of little bit more serious note uh Jay, you went and saw Thor Ragnarok this week, is that correct? Yes, I did. Um, so, I, and, and kind of keeping with our formula, we give it about a week with no spoilers, and then we kind of will transition to a, a more in-depth discussion maybe next week. But I can tell you, like hands down, <clears throat> definitely one of the best Marvel movies I've seen. It it was absolutely bomber, and it is a dramatic tone shift in from the first two uh the first two thor movies so like the first one you know uh kenneth Branagh directed that and had a very heavy hand in it uh and it, i actually liked it thought it was a good movie it was definitely a more serious marvel movie very shakespearean which is really what kenneth Branagh brings to it uh and it was played super straight the whole way like you know old school thor a lot of some d's and now thrown in there and the second one was kind of a mishmash. It was a bit, you know, it had some potential, but frankly, it, just, it wasn't as good. It was an okay movie. It was like, you know, okay uh, at best, but it was not 
Uh, it was not a world beater by any means. This one, massive difference. Massive difference. Uh, Taika Waititi, I, you need to keep an eye on that guy. Uh, anything that dude is directing, I am probably going to go see. Uh, and he's, and I think he's, I believe he's doing um, uh, Black Panther as well. And the, the trailer for Black Panther looks killer. So suffice it to say, a uh, couple a couple quick hits on Thor. Uh, best use of Led Zeppelin in a movie ever. The opening five minutes of that movie, as they say, are metal as fuck. Um, outstanding, outstanding dialogue and uh, character tone from everybody. It's a much more Guardians of the Galaxy style uh, kind of tone to it. A lot of humor, but they don't. Ha- it's not like done in a in a way where they're you know suddenly like you know bros in space kind of thing. It's a really really well done, uh, real done, well done take on. If you saw Thor away from the officers, like that classic line from the trailer where he sees the Hulk come out and the near gladiator in her, he's like, it's my friend from work. Well, you, you really get like this interesting, like I walked away going, this is what Thor's like when he's not at work and, and the Avengers are his work. I was like, it, that's literally the feel you get. It's really good. Um, Tom Hiddleston, as always, very good. Uh, some incredibly well utilized uh, minor players, like both Cameo and uh, kind of like just minor supporting players. Benedict Cumberbatch, he does make a return as Doctor Strange briefly in a really good scene. Um, you've got a lot of different people in the movie. I'm not going to spo- spoil some of the better cameos. They're really good. And you'll see them immediately and you'll laugh your ass off. Um, the story and the characters, though, were, were spot on. I, I give it two thumbs up. Uh, de- definitely highly recommend this movie. Highly recommend this movie. Uh, it does a really good job of progressing the MCU forward. Uh, and I think it's, you're going to see much more in the future, kind of guardians of the galaxy style and sort of mashup teams starting to come, come out. Uh, so, you know, the, the Hulk Thor, uh, combination was really good. Uh, Mark Ruffalo is also in the movie. So it's not just green Hulk. Uh, he was really good in, in the parts he was in. Uh, there was no missed beats really in the movie uh, at all. It's a fun flick. You, can, you know, my kid loved it. Uh, he was at, he was absolutely rolling the whole way. Fight scenes are great. Uh, and the, the interesting thing is, as funny as the show is, it's not like just a straight up comedy. But the acting of Hemsworth and Hiddleston and a lot of the other players, frankly, all of the acting was so spot on. When they would have a, you know, kind of a, a more serious moment or kind of one of those emotional moments in the movie. It absolutely was scoring on, you know, hitting on all all, uh, all cylinders when they would do that, mostly on the strength of the actors and the script. So, uh, hands down, probably one of the best Marvel movies I've seen. It's it's right up there with Guardians of the Galaxy one, uh, you know, up there with Avengers one, that kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, that sounds really good. I mean, it looks what you're describing is about on par with what I was expecting, which is which is fantastic. I'm looking forward to hopefully getting a chance to get out there and see it this week, and then we can kind of reconvene on it uh, next week with a more in-depth discussion. Did anyone else see it yet? Yeah, I saw it. Oh, okay. What what did you think? Um, big fan. Korg was the greatest character that the Rock dude. Absolutely. It, you know, that was voiced by the the director Rakiti. Yeah, I, I I did read that. Did you think it was better than the first two uh, Thor films? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I again, I liked the first one. Very different movie than the first. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the first two. I mean, they were. It was kind of like Chase. So they were okay. You know, they weren't 
they weren't anything spectacular, but they were they weren't bad either. But I'm I'm really looking forward to this one, kind of taking a different direction because I think it'll be uh, refreshing. So looking forward to that one. Yeah, one one thing I will I will kind of say is uh, I probably should have clarified this. When I say progressing the Marvel the MCU, I think there's two things going on. One, I think you are going. I think this really helps open up more like I said, the mishmash teams or the different sort of outings they may have with different characters. But I think with, you know, when you take this movie and then like the guardians of the galaxy stuff, and I bet what they're, what they're alluding to in infinity wars, they are really broadening the scope of the Marvel universe in a really, really big way in terms of what they can do and what, in terms of the environments and the settings. So you, you kind of had the earthbound, heroes for a while in the mcu guardians of the galaxy kind of came out of nowhere that was a very that i mean that was a popular but but fairly like niche sort of you know comic from marvel that movie hit huge and it you know kind of had that sort of star wars-esque kind of thing going on and you kind of got to see the 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 greater space world a little bit you get hints of that with asgard and stuff like that in in the thor movies but not a whole lot well so this definitely dives hard into that realm and it kind of bridges where you had Dr. Strange that sort of truly introduced like the concept of like actual magic, not just, you know, space magic, AKA, you know, Asgardian technology into, uh, into the MCU. And so this definitely sort of brings in, it sort of bridges all of that together. And it, in my opinion, I, I think it really gave them a huge slate for what they can do. Oh, the MCU. I do have to, to say uh, the trailers that were, that were hitting in this one, uh, the Star Wars trailer on big screen looks killer. Uh, r- really, really good. The Black Panther movie I am super psyched about. Super psyched. That looks absolutely killer. Um, the New Mutants was uh, very spooky, very scary. You know, uh, kind of conjuring insidious kind of kind of vibe to it. You know, one of those things. Uh, you would not have known that was a superhero or mar- or mutant movie at all until to, to like the very end. Uh, so there's pretty good ones out there, uh, but the trailers were, were pretty solid. Overall, highly recommend it. Be interesting to talk about it next week. Before we move on, are there any, uh, I guess, special instructions for end of credits? Like, is it one of like Spider-Man where there's like 12 different, you got to wait to the very end, or is it um, pretty obvious when you when you no, can there, stop? Uh, no. So there, there's there's only two. It's not like Guardians of the Galaxy where there's like f- five, I think. Um, so one of them is pretty quick and that's actually the kind of the main one. Uh, there's another one that's truly just a, a humor jab, uh, a little, you know, minor spoiler. It's a little bit of Jeff Goldblum, uh, towards the very end of the, at the very, very end. Uh, it's, you could probably catch it on YouTube and be okay. The first one's okay. It definitely kind of alludes to, uh, sort of future Marvel movies. Okay, sounds good. Well, thanks for that. We'll, like I said, hopefully kind of see that this week, and we'll uh, reconvene next week and uh, have a good talk about it. Uh, really quickly, does the oh. comedy feel like it's overdone uh, nope. in this one? Okay, okay, because I think if, to just talking to uh, friends of mine who have seen, uh, I think Guardians of the Galaxy two it was, it felt like it was very forced. The comedy in that one, I just wanted to see if. In, in which one, Guardians of the Galaxy two or Thor? Yeah, no, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy two. Oh, um, I thought I thought the I thought the first Guardians of the Galaxy was a little bit better because it was super fresh. It was like you, you didn't yeah. really know anything about this. Number two, I thought was still funny, but I think they 
they kind of reached a little bit on a couple jokes, you know, but overall it was okay. Thor, the humor is incredibly natural and it is, it, it is really, really, really good. Um, and like, like I said, a lot of it is on the, on the strength of the actors and the comedic script itself. It blends really well. Like when it needs to be serious, it is when it's like super actiony, it's good. And when it's, you know, kind of the, the character dialogue, um, you know, the it's kind of those humorous moments or the patter, if you will. It's really good. You definitely uh, you walk away going, yeah, I could see Loki and Thor talking like this. And yeah, I could see Hulk and Thor having this kind of a conversation. You know, again, semi minor spoiler th- in this version, Hulk, he has somewhat gained the power of speech, which they've, they've described quite quite a bit prior to the movie coming out. Um, basically, Banner's been the Hulk for what, three years, something like that. So, it, so he's not reverted back to, to Bruce Banner for three years. So he's got the, the speech capability of, you know, a, a, you know, about a three or four year old, but you can tell he's, he's, he's more intelligent than you, than you. It's not just a, you know, Hulk smash or puny human kind of thing. He, he carries on a conversation, but the way he does it with, with Thor is absolutely hilarious. Um, and the funny thing, the, the best parts about the humor is again, you, you totally get the natural feeling between him's between Thor and Hulk, that that is the style of converse, conversation that the two biggest meatheads in the MCU would probably be having. The only thing they didn't do is compare their deadlift numbers. Uh, but it was pretty funny. All right. Pretty good stuff. So moving along here, uh, star Wars. Got Star Wars coming up here. Pretty excited for it. Uh, but they recently announced that Ryan Johnson, who's currently the writer and director for Star Wars Episode Eight, The, the Last Jedi, is going to write and direct a the first film in a new trilogy that's going to be coming out. And I, from the sounds of it, it's not like Rogue One solo sort of like side stories. It's meant to be like its own, you know, three-part trilogy, like, you know, big stuff. Um, but it's separate from the Skywalker saga. So it's not necessarily Episode 10, 11, 12, it's going to be something entirely separate, a different plot, you know, somewhere else in, in the greater Star Wars universe, um, which is pretty pretty exciting. I mean, I think we all kind of knew that at some point Disney would go, this is working out pretty well. We're not going to stop at episode nine because, you know, we can make a lot more money doing this and we're going to keep going. Um, but my kind of takeaway is that I don't suspect that they would say and announce, hey, we're going to let you make the first film in a new trilogy unless they were feeling really good about the quality of the current film he's working on, which is The Last Jedi. So in terms of what's coming up, I'm actually pretty stoked as well. It seems like they're, they're very confident in what's coming out, which is less than they could say about Episode Nine since they switched directors. But, you know, I think eight's probably in a pretty good place, and I'm looking forward to to seeing more Star Wars and, and what where they're going to take it. But uh, I kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on it and, you know, if you think it's a good thing, what you're excited, that sort of stuff. So what do you guys think? I feel like right now it's a very interesting time, exciting to be to be a Star Wars fan. Not, not just in the movie platform, and we'll get to this later when we talk about that. Um, that I think was a visceral or a fucking it's working on that. But it, it kind of does make, it kind of does make that, excuse me, will Star Wars start to become the, what I mean that is will Star Wars, we start to see this, this overarching uh, Star Wars cinematic universe, let's call it, right? Where every year or every two years or, or whatever have you, there's a new Star Wars and eventually, uh, say, 10 years from now. Everybody's starting to get burnt out on Star Wars. And I, I, I don't think 
that's not something that I want to see happen personally, and, and, and it's probably because uh, Star Wars is something is is hard uh, personal. Uh, uh, but I, I I don't know. I I, I just think it, it's I see where it's going where it's going to come. Like like I said, just you're gonna get. But that might just be me. Well, you know well, the other thing is they're doing a TV series to a live action TV series. They also announced is coming uh, to oh. this. Disney streaming platform exclusive, oh, of wow. course. God. They got to sell the service, right? Uh. <laughs> it, 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 to me, it kind of depends on how far they take it. I mean, right now, it's a movie every 12 to 18 months. That pacing feels pretty good. Um, I don't feel like I'm getting burnt out. It's not like Marvel, where it's you literally have like eight simultaneous TV series going on in different locations, and the movie's coming out multiple times a year, and it's just complete overload. The pacing is much, much faster for Marvel. But, you know, like you said, you've got the TV series coming out for Star Wars, or, or at least announced. So, I mean, if they start going that direction with it, it, it could become Marvel if they, they take it to the extreme that, that we've seen with the superhero stuff so far. Uh, just a thought, but if they weren't good, they wouldn't still be making them because they'll stop making money at some point. Um, I, I, don't, I don't mind. I mean, the, the reality is... It, well, see, here's the interesting thing. So I, I did a little bit of checking up on it. What, they're, what they are very hush-hush on is where and when the new Star Wars trilogy occurs as as well as the TV series or the, the cable or the streaming series or whatever they're doing. So that could be all the way back to Knights of the Old Republic kind of thing. I don't think they're going to go into the future. It could be way off to the side. I mean, we've we basically watched Star Wars through the lens of about three or four characters over the course of like seven movies. And this is, and I thought Rogue One was one, it was really a good movie, but I thought it was incredibly successful because it basically, you know, not, a, you know, not a lightsaber was swung in that one until the last minute and a half of the movie. Uh, and I thought that that worked really well for him. So I think if they, if they get creative on where they want to put it and then, you know, sort of go that way. There's a lot of capability and possibility with it. And frankly, I, I don't, I, I was a little afraid about, I'd get burned out on superhero movies and stuff like that. You know, a few years, a few years ago. Cause if you look at it, I, I don't know how many movies Marvel's put out, but it's a shitload. I mean, it's gotta be like 15 movies so far or, or better with plenty more in the way. And then you got all the Netflix series and, and I, you know, I still occasionally catch some of the, uh, some of the, the animated ones, you know, like my kid likes them. Some of them are really well done. Um, the Star Wars stuff, you know, Star Wars Rebels, that's that is it's kind of sporadic in its uh, quality, but but the good episodes are great, like phenomenal episodes. Uh, the bad ones are very you know just you know, forgettable cartoon shit. Uh, but their their pacing is okay. I'm not I'm not worried about getting burnt out. What I would be worried you get burned out when they're bad. Like if they make about two or three you know shitty outings in a row. You'll get everybody gets burned out after that. And then they'll like, ah, oh, well, you know, we want to make it more of a generational thing and this, that, and the other. But if, uh, but if the if the stuff's good, they'll keep making them, and I'm okay with it as long as it's good. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I mean I think that uh, with Marvel, you got a lot of misses that are mixed in with the the hits, so like that, that that could be a lot of a lot of it too. But, but all their misses are still like B level. You know, when DC misses, they miss bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, it also depends if you're mixing like TV and movies because Marvel sucks at TV shows. Are you counting Netflix in that? Uh, okay, then it's just hit and misses. 
Now, trust me, Agents of Shield. I'm with you. That that's definitely it. It's good. It's bad. It's good. It's bad. It's good. It's bad. Thing. Um, Netflix. I mean, you can kind of debate on the different series, but by and large, those are pretty damn solid. You know, some of them are better, a little bit better than others, but their quality for a, a relatively low budget, you know, internet streaming service, pretty solid. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see, and I think, like you said, it's, it's certainly interesting time. What we're in is Disney starts to branch out and try to capitalize a bit more on this franchise, but, uh, you know, at the very least, they seem confident in moving forward, so that's well, that's always a positive. I, I, I gotta ask you guys, so, what, like, when, where, or what kind of characters would you, I mean, what would you like to see a new, like, feature trilogy be about? Like, you know, if you had, like, the you know, the five, set, five ten second kind of elevator concept, what would it be? See, I'm I'm torn if I want because I want more of like Evil Vader, you know, and I don't know if I want it to just be a Star Wars side story or if I want like a full trilogy focused around him at some point, you know, between uh, like Clone Wars and you know Episode uh, Four. I'm not sure if three movies would be too much or if one is just right, but I want something of that, more of what we saw at the end of Rogue One because that was just that was fantastic. I'd be really sick. More of like a like a, a clone trooper, a stormtrooper kind of kind of view, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, you know, it's kind of like I, the I, Battlefront Two sort of like take it from yeah, the, the Empire side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, going back to the the um, what is it, the Clone Wars animated series? Some of my favorite episodes mm-hmm. in that entire series were the were the ones that followed the 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 Clone Squad, Commander Rex and, and his group. The, those really were. Uh, to me, at least, the episodes made uh, that series, and even in the the books and the, the games, um, the, those are still some of the more memorable uh, games and books and episodes of TV series to me. So having a having a whole movie um, dedicated. Uh, Livy, what do you think? Maybe she disappeared. Zell, what about you, man? Uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. So helpful. You're, I know you're, you're so helpful as always. Best um, interview ever. Yeah. Okay. Well, Star Wars is not my thing. I go see them. I enjoy the recent ones because they're a lot better than the original stuff. But you know. What about okay. you, Jay? Uh, well, I, I don't. I don't know that I necessarily want it to be in the same like current continuity timeline. Um, I would be interested in. If they if they did something you know more or less within the you know the forty year forty or fifty year time span that we are comfortable with in that little slice, I would like it to be something like uh, you know bounty hunters like Boba Fett style uh, kind of thing. But they've talked about doing a one off kind of like the Han Solo one off movie with about that, like a bounty hunter sort of uh, you know Magnificent Seven style kind of thing, which would be pretty pretty cool. I think I. I, I think if you're going to do a trilogy of Star Wars movies, you're going to have to address shit like the Force lightsabers and Jedi in some way. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's you're 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 pulling too far back. So, like even in Rogue One, it was like it was a very real part of the world, you know, of of the of what was going on. So I kind of I kind of go back towards maybe something like Old Republic style, like Knights of the Old Republic style, somewhere you know, deeply enough in the, in the past that you can, you can have uh Sith Jedi kind of protagonist kind of in their, in their actual heyday, not sort of in the waning piece, like you saw in the episodes one and three, one, two, three. Uh, that might be kind of cool. I would, I don't know that I'd make a Jedi, the main character, definitely sort of a, 
you know, a component part or, or something like that. But I think that would be kind of interesting. Uh, what you could also have a, a, a take where uh, Jedi is per, perhaps like one of the, not an antagonist, but sort of like the, you know, the, you know, the, the, the protagonist, if you will, the characters are on the run and they're trying to do something, but the Jedi thinks they're doing something eagle. So you got like, you know, the relent, the, the relentless uh, Jedi Knight trying to track them down, you know, and then, you know, uh, they punch for a bit, then their friends kind of, kind of classic sort of, sort of vibe, you know, over the course of three movies. Then by the end of the third, by the third movie, they're full on together fighting the Sith or whatever. Uh, I could see that, but you, you kind of need to address that or need to have it because then it, it starts to drift away from, you know, a lot of the classic things that are, you know, space magic, lightsabers, things like that. It kind of drifts away from, from what you got. The cool thing is if you go back in the old, um, kind of, kind of that, uh, KOTOR times, there's all kind of neat characters and stuff that are still s- actual canon or semi-canon that you can bring out. Like you can have the droid HK-47, which was a classic, you know, sort of comedy, the assassin droid out of the old KOTOR series. That would be an easy, like a really super easy character to put in there, which is still recognized in the canon. Uh, the Mandalorians would be a really cool uh, kind of vibe. The, the mercenary Mandalorians, uh, which had a huge a huge impact on like uh, Star Wars history, like in the lore history. Uh, and they fought on good and bad sides, you know, so that would be kind of a neat thing. I think they have a lot of room to room if they went back that way and it's a safer choice. Cause I think if you go into the future, it, you, you can throw some shit off that way. It, it's, it becomes almost not familiar enough. Um, and then you're forced trying to bridge the gap between whatever's happening in the, in the main trilogy, you know, mentally. Uh, I think if you went off to the side and you tried to rogue, rogue one it up for three straight movies and you never touched anything serious or like with, you know, super galactic importance kind of thing, like, you know, rebels versus or resistance versus empire first order. It won't, it still does you know, it doesn't sing right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Hey, so is KOTOR and all that still canon? Through the uh, about well, no, it, it does fall in the Star Wars legends, but some of the characters are. So like some of the characters mentioned, yeah. Now what they did and how it all kind of flips around, some of that's a little, a little out there, so to speak, but uh, they've selectively kept just thin slices in there. They kind of had to, because that's really the only like history, history shit that you got in the Star Wars universe. Huh. Okay. The other things, frankly, it's far enough in the past that it doesn't affect anything in the current timeline. Oh yeah. No, 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 of course not. You know, it's not like, uh, like Thrawn was a big deal when they brought him into Star Wars Rebels. They that was like okay he's officially part of the Star Wars universe for real, and he was he was for a while put on the shelf as this in the Star Wars Legends men when they like basically schwacked all the all the Star Wars um, you know uh, all the you know dozens of books and all that other stuff when they yeah. schwacked all that he kind of went the sideways super super popular character uh, that everybody's really really interested in and it's probably a good example of. I think that uh, they will selectively pluck things out of the Legends box when they want uh, okay. pretty easily. So that means those Timmy Zahn books are still there. Uh, well, I don't I don't know if – no, I don't think so. Uh, I think the character, though, they absolutely oh, pulled the okay, character the out. But if you think about okay. the Timothy Zahn books, they, they – like that, that would have already been blown out of the water on Episode 7. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see what they'll actually come up with. Um, ultimately, where they want to take it. I think Jaybird's raised some really good points there, and uh, you know, I, I hope that they they do 
do Nalix. I think there's a, there's a lot of lore, a lot of stuff they could do, you know, Origin of the Jedi, Sith, that sort of stuff. I mean, any, anywhere along this massive timeline, they could really do some interesting stuff with. So I, I do hope they, they come up with something interesting because I'm not super versed, super, super well versed in, um, in Star Wars lore, but I know that it's got some really good stuff in it. I read a few of the books that are no longer canon, but, you know, I read a few of the books and, and I enjoyed it. So I'd, I'd love to see more and uh, hopefully they can come up with some neat stuff to talk about. So now. One interesting bit that uh, Libby actually kind of brought to my attention. I had heard a bit about it, but she she kind of dived into it a little bit deeper. Um, as you, if you're paying attention to kind of what's going on in the gaming industry right now, um, Visceral Games, this is the studio that was um, responsible for making the Dead Space series. Um, and they, all, they ultimately were working on kind of a single-player Star Wars game. Uh, and EA is, was their owner. Well, EA decided to shut Visceral down. Um, and then in the last couple of days, EA announced that they are purchasing Respawn, and Respawn is the studio that's responsible for the Titanfall series as well as some other stuff, um, which is kind of interesting because Respawn was working on a Star Wars game as well, but it was a multiplayer Star Wars game. So I'm actually going to kind of hand this off to Livy to kind of talk a bit about and, and give us her thoughts, and we'll kind of dig in deep with the discussion. So uh, Livy, you want to kind of tell us what's going on with this? Yeah. Oh, you say digging. <laughs> I have a lot of scratches, and uh, I hope you guys can. Um, I was just more curious as to uh, as EA, you know, smashes through another developer, you know, and, and leaves them on the sideline. It's just, I'm just curious as to you know where they're going with their model. I guess I'm more, I'm more confused. So <laughs> going back on it, I, I guess when I was mainly on Twitter, it popped up that. You know, EA had um, decided to close down Visceral. It was like, oh, okay, that's sad. That's, you know, you're used to seeing the breakups, like, as if it were tailored. And then the next, you know, few weeks, you saw that they had picked up um, Respawn. And I thought that was more interesting because, uh, you know, while mentions that, you know, Respawn was going to do kind of Star Wars and what uh, they brought in, I can't think of her. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, to work on uh, the Star Wars when Visceral was wanted, but everyone knows the type of games that she to work on. Linear storyline. Um, they brought her in Star Wars. EA didn't like that. Um, short story, it seems like they kind of choked out Visceral, turned over to Respawn. Something happened. What is it? Let's say Nexon made an offer for, I think it caused uh ea to kind of do a fight deal you know oh god the decision um shut down visceral games my guess is just to free up some cash to go ahead and bat offer down for they shut down visceral games of course and then announce that they bought wrong i think that they bought before they shut down this who knows what the time was but um I, there's so much to really spawn out and talk about with you know how ea is doing things just them going through and i mean the new model of how how everyone is going to buy it anyways it, it's really killing the single or the uh, that single player linear storyline model of playing games because they're not lucrative they don't give you time they're not going to um feed you and give you that max profit that you're looking um but but it feels like is that really is that really how we as consumers giving giving the companies i mean should we be rewarding them for that i mean we're the ones rewarding them for this behavior we didn't buy the ea games so they'd have to so i was just you know scratching at the ethics and opening 
Yeah, I think it's. I think what's really interesting about that is that you had Visceral that was working. Both Visceral and um, Respawn were working on Star Wars games or are poking at it. Visceral um, more so with kind of the single player, like you said, story driven experience. Um, and then Respawn was working on a you know, I don't want to say MMO style necessarily, but a multiplayer Star Wars game. Yeah, but I don't I don't know how far Respawn really got in with it. In 2016 is when they really started going, oh yeah, we're working on a Star Wars game too. But there was really no meat to it. You know, everyone was like, okay, sure, we'll, we'll see what we have. Well, Visceral well, don't seem to be the one that actually put out footage and had things. So I found out. Yeah, so Visceral had been working on uh, they they were they were making Amy Hanning had been making a lot of and this uh, bear in mind they've worked they worked on this game for about I think three years yes um, before it was all said and done and and the they kept using like it was like you know, framed as like it's like sort of Uncharted style gameplay in Star Wars universe you know that sort of really compelling single player campaign game. Uh, as opposed to like a battle, you know, like Star Wars Battlefront, uh, which was an incredibly polished Star Wars game, but ultimately, you know, pretty shallow, and, and, which is what they're trying to address with Battlefront too. So uh, th- my understanding was like they had been struggling and working on that and working on it, and working on it, and th- there was a there was a lot of background turmoil trying to trying to get it off the ground, and and ultimately EA was like we're we're not we're not making enough progress on this and it's something's not working and EA for, you know, let's, you know, they are quote unquote, big corporate demand, you know, in terms of the video game world, they're also very conservative in terms of, and and very risk averse is what they really are. Uh, And oh, by the way, if you'll look at the, at all the companies that they've, they've sort of all the development houses that they've, they've usually bought out, brought under their wing and at some point liquidated, a lot of their best people end up still working for EA in some other capacity. Uh, if, if you'll notice, you know, they have, they're very good with yeah. their quote unquote job placement program, AKA fucking forced recruitment. So they, there, there was a little bit of that going on. It wasn't just, you know, EA, you know, put them on the block and, and chop their head off. I think, I think it was a combination of EA trying to play things soft and uh, you know, the studio, maybe not, not really delivering on a grand vision, at least in the timely fashion that they were, that they were sort of expected to. Uh, that that was kind of my understanding. Now, kind of, kind of flip the flip side of that is, I don't think Respawn had been really messing around with it. I thought that they had contracted to do some work with Battlefront for a while, uh, but basically what ended up happening is EA. If you look at the big big picture EA, they had a good shooter game, like you know fast-paced MMO shooter game. They killed a, they killed the single player it's uh, adventure game. Now they are bringing adventure game back, but under new with, with new people working on it is what it sounds like uh, that at least that's, it's a little convoluted. I think Livy's right. It's, it is a little convoluted trying to, you know, pull the spaghetti strings out on this one, but I kind of think, I think everybody realizes that's, untouched territory from a game perspective because the last time you had anything like that was Knights of the Old Republic 2, which is 10, 12 years ago. Uh, so I think the the ground is ready to go f- to have this kind of Star Wars game, but now they're trying to figure out how do they do this uh, you know, well. And it would not surprise me if, they, if a lot of people aren't thinking of things like, you know, Andromeda was one of the safest video game franchises to put a, a you know, 
put a game out in and they tanked bad with Andromeda. So I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of, hey, let's not fuck this up kind of kind of vibe. And if EA is very risk averse, that will make them hit the reset button, you know, and go to a new studio or something like that. I would also, you know, if you guys remember a few years ago, there was a thing called 1313. You guys remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that was phenomenal. I don't think, no, that wasn't visceral. That was somebody else. And that was, that was like, what, eight, ten minutes of footage of, of like yeah, basically the initial level or something like that. Yeah, that looked shit hot. So I, and that died, that let like died a quiet death somewhere. Nobody really knows what went on with that. Uh, but there's, there's a few, like visceral put out a few, you can find a few clips here and there that looked pretty good, but there was no real gameplay. It was all cutscene type stuff. So I'm not really sure how much of the gameplay they were able to get to. Well, that was a, another interesting thing too, because um, 1313 was made with Unreal Engine. Don't quote me. I believe it was. No, you're, you're right. Three. It's Unreal 3. And yep. Unreal 3. And um, Visceral was trying to work with the engine EA was telling they had to work with. Yeah, they wanted yeah, to use Frostbite. Yes. And they were trying to work as hard as they could with that frostbite and they they had to do a lot of groundwork starting the ground up with their stuff so they had some with that with their acquiring of respawn respawns working with star wars they're they're already the unreal and so hmm. i don't i don't know if they're going to tell them to change that or if they're going to let them keep going i but think frostbite's owned by ea right that's that's ea or that's, yeah, that's there. You yeah. need to use this if you're fully owned by us. Either that or a uh, source. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, mixed up in this is the other other little factor. That now means that, you know, EA has kind of quietly said there's going to be a Titanfall 3, but it's under the EA banner now. Yes. Well, not well, quietly. Not they just straight up said, like, yeah, we're... We're, we're doing it. Putting, yeah, we're putting together Titanfall 3. They, they basically said it in their agreement when they said up to whatever, 140 million on... Uh, future development of future titles like i hear the up to which means that they really bought them for 151 million in cash solid and the rest of it's up to how yeah yeah absolutely i think that they're gonna go well as long as titanfall you know three does well then we'll like up to this point then we'll give you the rest that we promised you but if not then like you know we'll just keep it and that'll count for whatever losses that we we sank into a, a production that didn't actually pay out in the end see this is the part where you know we all like to throw rocks at da but we sure shit buy their games the uh, titanfall 2 was legitimately one of the most fun games i played in a long time like i think it had about a you know, seven hour story or something like that. Six hour, six, seven hour story. One of the best single player campaigns like I've ever played. It was, it was legitimately great. I mean, it had a, a wicked good Metacritic score. I mean, it was like, it was like high eighties, low nineties. I mean, it was really good. Uh, but it, but commercially, you know, it's, I mean, that was a much, much smaller game house. They didn't put the, put the full court press on like you see with call of duty with, you know, you know, James Corden and Jack Black shooting, you know, AK-47s at each other and shit. Uh, but it that was a phenomenal game. However, it doesn't, I, the way EA looks at it, they're like, yeah, but you're not making that much money. Your game might be good, but you're not making as much money as you, you should be. And so they'll, they'll put the ax to that kind of stuff quick, which worries me because Titanfall, Titanfall 2 was, I mean, I think the world of that game. And I think that if you made a Titanfall 3 and you, progressed from where you were at with Titanfall 2, you you know, that's a game I would absolutely want to play. I'd pay out real money for that. But if it 
but if they homogenize it too much or, or it's as EA refers to it, making it appeal to a broader audience, that's always code for making shit easier. Um, that's I'm I'm a little skeptical of that. Well, can we always can we also talk about what's to release Titanfall two? Yeah, no, yeah, I no mean, shit. I mean, I mean, like you can't say you have to meet this, you know, milestone. But we're also gonna, you know, push it out with a whole bunch of our uh, premium stuff and let you just kind of lay waste. Well, yeah, so, I mean, you, go ahead. I'm sorry. Because you you push out Titanfall two on October twenty eighth, twenty sixteen, and literally one week before October twenty first. Battlefield 1 came out, also published by EA. So they dropped two major titles in a week. And then I think like six days after Titanfall 2, you had uh, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare came out. So I mean, that that time block, that two weeks was packed. And it's like, Titanfall 2, like you said, top marks. Like, I'm terrible at it, but it's a fun game. It always gets like 9 out of 10 no matter where you go. Like, it's really top tier, but it didn't sell well because they put it like, sandwiched between two massive franchises there's no way it could have sold well up against those yeah i think i mean this is one of these interesting um interesting moments here in sort of the industry where you've got the confluence of you know this huge hulking ip with star wars ea you know sort of you know borg you know pulling dudes into the collective see what it did there to re-engage zell's brain um, pulling them into the EA collective, so to speak, and then really getting rid of the things they don't want or keeping the things they want. And it's just really murky to us outsiders. So I, I think if you probably give this a, about a week or two, you know, m- maybe maybe a month, you can probably hit some of those, you know, like the really hard-hitting game industry, uh, like insider news locations. And by the way, for the extent of that, like we're absolutely not, this is like, you know, this is essentially four people sitting around, you know, with like a, a beer, you know, talking about video games at the end of the end of a work day with us. But like people that are like actually like in the industry, like, you know, some of those pretty hard hitting podcasts and stuff like that, that, that do deep dives on this. I guarantee you there's a lot more going on. That's that's kind of interesting. What my understanding, though, is uh, Nexum that the the company that made the counter offer for uh, uh, Respawn. That is, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that is the company that does the, their mobile game, the Titanfall, the Titanfall mobile, mobile game, game. which is which actually is really good. Really it's actually pretty pot. It's it's selling that it's selling very well right now on on Apple, at least on Apple. Um, and I believe that's a Korean company. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a Korean company. And I guarantee you, they were trying to get into the into the you know big video game business as well. You don't hear a lot about Korean studios. They're very regionally focused in terms of the games they make. But Stompy Robots, you know, Asian culture, that would work fucking great. Uh, and Titanfall is a built-in IP that they know very well from the mobile game. I think I, think I would have been, been almost more interested to see them them sort of take it over because effectively what they would have done is said, okay, yeah, we're going to keep all you people that are already working on Titanfall. Just keep working on it. We're just going to change the name on the front of the building. And that, I mean, I assume that's probably what they would have done. But uh, with EA doing it, eh, I don't know. Uh, EA doing a single cl- a single player adventure, you know, Star Wars, which I desperately would like a game like that. I- I'm just amazed that somebody hasn't done it yet, um, or at least not done it in this long. I'm a little skeptical about EA pulling that off because I think they're so risk averse. I just I don't think they'll take any chances, and you might end up with a very, you know. Just a real plain vanilla game that, that might look great, sound great, but it won't really engage you 
in in the way that some of the some of those were ones who could. I think something like you know Bioware, I'd be way more interested in them doing doing another Star Wars game like Knights of the Old Republic and you know super fresh update, not not retreading it, but literally like what they can bring to the table as a game studio. Yeah, I'm not even sure how interested EA is even in doing a single player game. They they seem very very heavily focused on on producing multiplayer experiences because I think it I think it fits their business model better. I think you can you can sell microtransactions better and you can sell games better with multiplayer because you know if your if your buddy is picking up Battlefront 2 and you really want to play with your friend even if you don't really want to buy Battlefront 2, chances are you're probably going to buy it anyways. I mean, I know that there's titles that I've I have purchased that I did not want to buy, but I went with it because I had a friend who was playing it, like um, Ghost Recon Wildlands. Didn't want to play that game, got it anyways because I wanted to play multiplayer with my friend. Regretted it, but I still bought it. I still got I, my money. I got it because you guys said I had to review it for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> okay, fair enough. But um. I mean, it, it's that sort of thing where it's like, like Libby said, people keep buying EA stuff, um, which just keeps fueling the fire, you know. But I think the multiplayer platform really, really encourages that because it's much easier to pull people in if their friends are going to play it. You know, it's kind of a, a group mentality. So, and then of course that fuels microtransactions, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute for Battlefront too, because that's that's a special thing that we that's popped up, but. Uh, you know, I, I think it just it, it's a better money maker overall to make an ongoing multiplayer experience because one, the content is made for you because players are content. And if it's an ongoing experience that doesn't have a finite story start finish, you can keep selling shit to people and they'll probably keep buying it because, you know, they want to keep playing and they want more content. So I mean EA's pretty much come out and said those exact words, uh, and not the not the two recent past. You know, in terms of you know about how they view the market. The other thing I would tell you, a lot of places I think you see kind of drifting away from those single play. You don't hear a lot of like hard hitting single player or single like like campaign mode games or story mode games that that really crush it. Uh, mostly because of what you just said. Because if you think about it from a marketing standpoint, like you you can go buy a disc play the game once, turn around, hand that disc off to your local games, game store, GameStop rather, and EA effectively or whoever effectively loses a sale. Um, I think that's why they like the huge push on uh, online, on digital content, because you, you don't, you don't lose sales to, to buybacks, which, which they, I, I guarantee you big game houses, like, like big killer game houses, if they could figure out a way to buy out all the fucking game stops and game flies out there and crush that shit, they would, uh, because they lose money like a champ from that. Uh, cause right, I mean like right now, if, if you want to go buy a call of duty world war two, it's been out about, if you wait a week, if you wait one week, you can go right back to your GameStop and buy that son of a bitch like brand new <laughs> and it won't, you know, won't have a mark on it. But somebody will have played it for about eight hours and said, "Yeah, I don't like this," and then get, turn it in, and you buy it for like ten bucks cheaper. Um, so what they don't like is that. What they do like is just what you said, Pokey, is something like, you know, like a Call of Duty or a, like a Destiny is is probably one of the games in the modern age that's truly been tailor made to do this, where it's designed as a you 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 play it for you know three, four, five hours a week. And it caters really well to that level of play. 
and it does things on a timing base that brings you back where it's not where you're like, Oh geez, I just, I, you know, I don't want to just keep grinding this and grinding the grinding. It just keeps you coming back and it has all these microtransaction mechanisms. And in fact, you even listen to the, to the discussions on how a lot of these big MMOs use it. They, you know, they're starting to use the term ritual now. Uh, Destiny does that quite a bit. They refer to it as like re- weekly ritual rituals, uh, where you you tag in with your buddies, go knock out the night falls, this that and the other, uh, you know, grab something from the Eververse store. Like, oh wow, did you see that? I want to, you know, maybe drop some silver on this. That's that is their mode where they have an extensive period. If you look at a lot of EA's games, that's how they operate. You know, pick a Call of Duty. You know, you can I mean, you can still go onto PlayStation Four and get Call of Duty. You know, Advanced Warfare like downloadables continually. Uh, right now so that's you know a single a really bomber kind of uncharted style last of us style kind of story mode game is not ea's cup of tea right now uh from a financial standpoint now would they make absolute bank if they made a killer star wars game like that fuck yeah and then they would have to figure out then you guarantee they'd have like dlc chapters that they'd be making like part two three four five six if it was really that good uh but yeah, nah, I mean, it's just kind of my, my, my thought process on it. And maybe that, that's a better key into what Livy was talking about in terms of like, why are why do they do certain things a certain way? And it's ultimately it probably just comes down to they're making really cold money decisions on what they think is going to happen. Yeah, because I mean, like, like you said, they're conservative. They're going to they're gonna be risk adverse. They're going to go what they know is going to work. And they know we got Frostbite. It looks damn good. Like there's no no getting around that. The battle Battlefront games look fantastic. Um, they they preview well. They look great in trailers. They look great on posters. You look at their games and you go, "Wow, that's a that's a AAA experience. That's a lot of fun. That's going to look really cool." It doesn't really matter if the game's great or not. <laughs> people people they're they're going to they're going to get sucked in with that really shiny coating and and they go, "Well, oh, we'll just take Battlefront One and we'll you know add some extra space battles in there and we'll put some new stuff in there and stick it." a short campaign on it and call it a day. It's very safe that they know exactly what they have to do. They can probably reuse a lot of stuff from the first one. So it's not that expensive and just push it out the door and people are going to buy it. You know, it's, it's very safe. Your shareholders want micro deals. Well, because they work is that's what it comes down to. I mean, it's, they, they make money and people buy them, obviously. I mean, Overwatch does quite well with their their loot crates. Um, all the tons. I think even the most recent Sonic the Hedgehog game has loot crates in it. You know, they're everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> but they work. And EA is a company that it, it's it's it's. And this is the disconnect here is that you have people who like developers like id software where they they are legitimately there i mean they're a company they want to make money but they really want to make something that's got a lot of soul into it like a lot of you know old school game development where it's like we're going to make a really badass experience and that's our primary goal and then you've got ea the company and activision is very similar we're here to make a shitload of money and that's not evil that's business um but i think that when you start to go and play those games you have to understand that the developments of those games and how they run those games, it is entirely built around, we're here to make money. And we want to make a good enough product that you'll keep giving us money. Not necessarily a product that's going to make you go like, holy crap, that's that was a, amazing. It's just going to be a nice yeah, bonus. It was fun. It was fun. You know, it was I mean, fun. You, yeah, I think that's just a nice bonus. Like if you... 
if if it's good enough, then what what it really gives them is the avenue for future revenue. But if they make their money, even if they're you know they're they're okay with that. But it you know the better the game is, the the higher the, the potential for future revenue on that IP is. They're, they they that's their goal. However, they're pretty content with the I've made I've made the amount of money that we would like to make off this. <laughs> even if you never make another one of that style game again. Yep, minimum viable product. If we can make something that at least sells enough to make a little bit of profit, it was worth doing. And that's that's all I really care about. If we if it's good enough that you know you buy the sequel, sure, sweet. We'll keep making them as long as you keep buying them. And that's just the way it's going to be for those kinds of games. So if you're playing you know, Destiny, Battlefront, Battlefield, it, it's that's what you're going to get, is you're going to get that style of development. If you want something that's more kind of heart and soul, go play Doom 2016, go play Senua's Sacrifice by, um, you know, play those kinds of games where their intent is to make a certain kind of experience and hopefully break even, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and the thing is, those games actually quite well. And they made they made a good amount of money on it, but that wasn't the primary driving force behind the teams building them, I think. I think it was, we want to make a certain kind of experience. We want to, you know, keep our jobs. But as long as we can keep making what we are proud of, that's the kind of stuff that, that you're probably going to want to stick to if that's the kind of thing you're looking for. And, and indie developers are also usually in that that realm. They just want to do something that's really fun and have a job while they're doing it. They're there to make a million bucks. They're there to put out a game and pay their bills pretty much. So you kind of got to pick and choose. And if you're sick and tired of microtransactions and all that shit, I know it's everywhere. And I think to a degree, some of it's fine. Um, I think that, you know, it, for ongoing support and updates and stuff, yeah, I'm fine with with a, a reasonable amount of, of monetization. But stop playing, you know, Battlefront if you don't if you really don't like this because that just helps you know encourage more of it. Uh, go 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 somewhere else. Try something else that's different. Go an indie developer. There's tons of cool indie games out there that that you know you can play around with. But you know you just kind of got to pick and choose what kind of studio and publisher do you want to support with your purchase. I mean that's that's kind of the the short end of it. It's like now I'm interested in Star Wars <laughs> with microtransaction that creates open world DLC. Oh yeah. Did you, did you want to cover that one, Jay, with the the hero crates for Battlefront Two? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so they loot box the heck out of you in uh, in Battlefront or correction in uh, in Call. Is, is that we talking about Call of Duty World War Two? Uh, no, Battlefront Two, the Star Wars. World. Oh, I'm sorry, I was I spaced out. I was still I was still dreaming of what Star Wars would look like. Um, so the the short answer on that one is, and again, we're talking about EA here, by the way. Um, the the game's been up enough in the beta and then you can basically have 10 hours pre-access if you pre-order so a day's worth of gameplay you know before it goes live for the you know the rest of the public right there's been enough people that that have played it where they've done the math on how long it takes to unlock characters so characters so just so, so you guys are tracking um I, I do have that pre-ordered so i'll be able to crack into it this week and be able to give you a really good kind of flavor of it next show but from what i can tell you it is a it is a very different system than Battlefront Star Wars Battlefront one from a couple of years ago, which was an incredibly stripped down game. I mean, it's from a technical standpoint incredibly polished, but they have like there's no backing behind it. It's pure lobby shooter esque, as most people know. That shit is all. They have definitely definitely reworked a lot of that. So. Um, 
I, I won't speak any about the, you know, what I know about the, the, sing, the campaign mode. Uh, suffice to say, it's pretty solid. The, the kind of baseline mechanics, though, of how you unlock heroes and how you do different things with them is dramatically different. Uh, so that's the, the bottom line is you, you can unlock, you unlock heroes this way on a more permanent basis. Whereas in the, in the battlefront run, you basically ran around and you randomly found these sort of digital tokens or symbol or glyphs uh, out in the battlefield of Hoth or somewhere. And it allowed you to pick a, you know, a hero that you could be until, you know, you know, until you get killed or something like that. And they had it obviously much, much more heavy health, you know, HP pools and stuff like that. So they lasted a while. Uh, this is different. So you, you earn access to them in multi and true multiplayer combat through, uh, like in their general modes, kind of through your 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 actual performance, versus you randomly find it on a map. And how powerful that character is 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 quite quite tuned to what you've unlocked on him. And there's also other game modes where you can use the heroes that you've unlocked only that you know that kind of thing, like hero only mode. So they've they've revamped a lot. But in order to unlock some of the characters, like the high end characters, it takes around sixty thousand. Galactic credits. That's sort of their in-game, you know, money of choice. You get that from you know everything you do gives gives credits. You do like you know challenges like you know killed so many guys with a blaster pistol or you know won so many matches. You know scored this much KDR or whatever. Um, Sixty thousand. If you you the rough math is if you grind for somewhere around thirty-five or forty hours of gameplay, not like living my life play gameplay. That's what it would take to go from zero to sixty thousand to unlock Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader, the two highest. That's the number one tier in terms of like cost. In-game cost is Skywalker and Vader at sixty thousand, and then even you know you get down to like lower tiers, they're like forties. You know, like Princess Leia is forty forty k something like that. Um, it that's a lot of gameplay. That's like a lot 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 of gameplay right now. And it got to the point where once that once that spread in the you know kind of the online community here in the last forty eight hours or so, like EA, this is this tells you this tells you how serious it got. EA actually had to get onto their official Reddit page and post up a, yeah, we acknowledge what you're saying and we're, we monitored this, we pulled all these numbers, we came up with these numbers from beta, and you know we promised that everything you know we're we're going to continually tweak this as we go. We want everybody to have, you know, meaningful progression and all this other kind of shit. And if, if you get like a, a big company like EA to step up and say something, you, you've got like a swell of activity going on. So that kind of goes back to the, to the deal is like, that's without microtransactions. If you spend money, obviously you get those characters way faster. Um, I've seen different online calculations, but if you, un, if you wanted to pay, to unlock every single character that was available at launch, it's you know upwards of you know seven hundred dollars, uh, which is holy shit, pretty staggering. Oh my god! Right, so that's either that either means there's a shitload of characters, many of which were you know like got all of five seconds of FaceTime in a movie, one of the seven movies so far, or uh, the the cost differential is just out out to outrageous. So. I, it's I not hope train simulator though. Yeah, fuck no. I hope they they scale that back a little bit where it's it is more practical because one of the things that will sour people is you know if it takes you that long to get to you know like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader that's bananas. Like 
I acknowledge that they're the most popular and probably most important characters based on the, on the movie and the games and all that stuff. They're also the ones everybody wants to play. And there's a fine line between making people earn that and making it ridiculous. Yeah. Cause I mean, day one, someone will probably buy that. And now you're going to spend the next 40 hours getting your teeth kicked in by Darth Vader as you're trying to grind up so you can play as, and that's, that's going to be real frustrating from a from a new player standpoint for someone who does not want to buy into the, the microtransaction model. So yeah, EA is doing damage control on that one. But uh, I think when does Battlefront Two open up? Do you do you know Jay for yeah, like actual play? Uh, I think it's tomorrow night. It's either tomorrow okay. night or Tuesday. I got I got to look. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll have to see how that one goes and, and see what people think of it. It should be it should be interesting, but. Uh, you know, I think EA is is making some moves right now, particularly around the Star Wars franchise, because I think they have exclusive rights to make games for it, um, which is a deal they made with LucasArts a ways back. So they can they can pretty much twist this whatever way they want, and I'm kind of curious to see where they take it. But uh, I, I am curious to see if they'll tweak some of those numbers on the the unlocks uh, when they go into full launch, because it, it is it is kind of nasty online right now with uh, with the public reception to all this. So we'll have to see how it goes. Okay, so moving along here, uh, real quick, uh, I did kind of want to go over with Libby some of the games that we've been playing for uh, Dungeon Crawl this week. So if you aren't familiar, Dungeon Crawl is a series that we do where we do kind of a, it's basically a let's play where we go through and we play typically horror or spooky games that are, are you know, horror-themed, that sort of thing. So first one we did was Resident Evil 7, really, really good. Um, we just finished Prey like a week and a half ago, and so the final episodes of that will be coming out in the next month or two. Uh, but two games that we did start um, was Amnesia the Dark Descent, this is the PS4 version, and Alien Isolation, also the PS4 version. Um, and so we're kind of playing them um, in tandem. So Livy's actually playing Amnesia, and I'm watching, providing commentary. And then for Alien, I'm playing that, and Livy's watching and providing commentary. So I kind of want to talk about them briefly, just initial impressions. We've only done like a couple episodes so far. Um, but we'll start with Amnesia. I'm going to let Livy kind of talk about this one because she's the one with the controller in her hand. So uh, what are your kind of thoughts so far on the experience, just kind of briefly what people could expect if they were to play this game, um, what you think of it so far. So what, what do you think, Libby? So, since I was forced. Um, she was forced. That's a trend. That's, I was forced. It's an absolute trend on this show. So generally what happens is that the one guy who will go unnamed, but like rhymes with yell, like tends to go, oh, this would be a good one for you to review. And then suddenly we, we, we find ourselves playing games that he doesn't listen to us talk about after he made us buy the fucking game. I don't <laughs> recall this. No, this game is, this game is good. Um, I didn't know when we first started playing that you said it was imported from, and it, it makes sense after you start playing. Um, it's kind of frustrating how coals are, but you do get used to um, the game leaves you in the dark, literally, about what you're supposed to do. It's kind of like, don't worry about anything. About saving, just walk through this creepy place that you can't remember. Um, I do like, uh, and, and there's no way to really explain it in, until you play it, but there are certain moments where um, if you're trying to divert, go away from like the, the main objective of that certain area, the game tries to pull you back to that area to explore it. Even even if if you get there, you're not supposed to. It, it wants you to go there to, to find out you're not supposed to be there, and then go around. Like I literally explored everything, went back, and was like, oh, I did everything. I was supposed to went back, and you know. But whatever. I um, I like it. I 
am not usually scared when I watch my play game terrified. Yeah, you're <laughs> so part like, of the action, oh, right? Oh my god. I'm like shaking and uh nothing's happening. Nothing is happening, but I'm just like, oh my god, I'm gonna get eaten by I don't know what because I haven't seen anything. So, you know, Pokey can tell you the other side just watching i don't know <laughs> yeah no the, the game is is very interesting it, it, it even says and let me kind of touch on this it says at the very beginning don't worry about trying to get to the end just enjoy the experience for what it is and i think that's that's the absolute best way to approach the game and that don't be so focused on i have to do checkpoint a b c d get to the end do this i mean that's obviously important because that's part of the game is solving puzzles and progressing the story but you kind of got to let yourself get lost in it because a big part of it is basically psychological trauma. You're a character who's who has intentionally wiped his memory, but he won't you won't, you won't tell yourself why. Just don't worry, it'll make sense eventually. But you don't remember what happened. Go do this, and you'll be fine. Um, and so you're you're kind of messed up to begin with. And there's a mechanic where you have your health bar, which is when you take damage, you die, fine. Um, but there's a sanity meter as well. Um, and if you spend too much time in the dark, um, you start to go insane. And so the, the camera starts you know warping and twisting, and you can't really walk straight. Um, Livy kind of touched on it as well. Like you you literally lose control of your character sometimes because you are so terrified, the character is so terrified that it can't even bear to look at what you're trying to look at, and it'll just kind of scurry away, and you kind of have to force it to go back. Um, really, really interesting. Like, it's it's not the kind of horror game like Resident Evil, where you, you have a gun, and you're just trying to, you know, get through the monsters. It's like, we're going to screw with you every single chance we get to make you think there's something there. There may be, there may not be. Like, I think we've seen the monster once, maybe twice, in like three hours of gameplay. If, but, if but, that was really it, I kind of feel like, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think I, we, I, we, we sat hiding in an armoire for like five, five minutes straight, straight, listening to creaks and footsteps, and we didn't know where it was, and we're like trying to like, okay, when's, when's it safe to go out? And we're like, okay, we're just going to run for it. And so she goes flying out of this, this armoire, and there's not a damn thing there. Like we're both sitting, like shaking in hiding in the dark. Like okay, okay, we got we got to go. There's no way out. We have to leave. And there's absolutely nothing there. So the game is great at screwing with you. And I think we actually cut an episode short because Olivia is shaking so bad from from playing that we're like, okay, we'll just we'll, we'll call it we'll call it quits here and 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 do it next week. So um, from an atmospheric standpoint. Just fantastic like it's just a really good game you have to let yourself get lost in it um we're playing with headphones if you listen you to the show to if you don't use headphones yeah, yeah because it's very directional audio like you'll hear things in your left ear and it, it's you know it's it's important to kind of get that that sense of direction and get fully immersed like turn the lights off you know put headphones on just let yourself get lost in the experience very, very good so far. I'm, I'm very impressed with it. It's much better than I thought it would be. And this is one that was actually free on PSN for PS Plus last month, so top-notch for that one. Uh, the other one that we were playing, the one that I have the misfortune of playing, is Alien Isolation. Um, so, if you've seen any Alien movie, you kind of know briefly what's happening. Um, your character who gets lost, and in this case it's on um, a space station, and you don't know what's going on. You you got stranded there. You can't contact your ship, which is you know uh, orbiting around the station. So you're just like shit. You can tell that everything has gone to hell, um, and you know there's bodies everywhere. 
people are scavenging and, and trying to avoid each other because they're trying to kill each other and all this stuff. Um, and you don't know what's going on. Obviously, at some point, you know there's going to be a xenomorph. At some point, he's going to try to hunt, down, hunt you down and kill you. But I think for the first... We, we started the game and played for an hour straight, and I don't think we saw the xenomorph until, like, the very end of that hour. And it was, like, not even the whole thing, just, like, just a quick glimpse of it, and then we had to run away. Um, um, but that whole time, that whole hour, I was like, holy shit. Like, we're creeping through. You hear stuff. There's people, and there's things in the air docks. You don't know what's going on. Like, again, the uh, sensory immersion play it with headphones because you, you hear little shit that the game is throwing at you and you never know if it's real or not like <laughs> is it a threat i have to be worried about or is it just the game screwing with me um and i think it was until like the end of episode two we even got a weapon and it was like here's three bullets and you're probably not going to get more so you know good luck with that <laughs> so i mean it's you feel extremely vulnerable and amnesia is the same way they, they straight up tell you you have no way of defending yourself you have to run or hide if you want to survive this feels very much the same like you can obviously shoot humans um but if if the movies are accurate at all with the game there's no point in trying to retaliate against the xenomorph it's like just just run and hide so you feel extremely vulnerable and that's very different from what we were used to with um, resident evil and prey where eventually you're kind of this walking demigod and you can just rip through everything here it's like they remind you constantly you have no way of fighting back so if you get spotted you're dead so you play very carefully you're very tense because you know if i get seen i'm probably going to die and have to go back to the last checkpoint so i so, think in terms of you know risk and tension these are way way higher than what we were used to um but they're both incredibly good so far and not just uh, being seen, and they can't make noise, like stupid things. Um, or I'll say even in both of them, crouching, walking, calling for the train. It's like you call for it, and you get to hide in the locker. You're like, oh my god, <laughs> get here really quick. Yeah, <laughs> Aliens is good because it makes everything you do um, slow, and it requires multiple commands to actually execute something. So like, there's these braces that are on the door, and you get this like um, this handy this like hammer wrench tool right, I gotta, thing i gotta hit square i gotta hit square all right i, I gotta x x what the fuck was that what the fuck hit fuck hit, hit x hit x turn it turn it slowly slowly <laughs> you made a whole bunch of noise it's behind you you're screwed yep you're dead yep and it, it's if you panic you're gonna fuck it up and take longer and it's probably gonna kill you to a point that the save points require your character to stand upright insert a key card wait three seconds and then it saves so you have to be completely exposed for a full three to four seconds to even save the game which makes the act of saving in of itself extremely risky to a point where sometimes it's better not to save and just move on hopefully you find one later mm -hmm. down and don't die in the process like everything you do in that game has this extremely high level of tension and you have to be damn sure that Whatever you do is not going to get you killed because it takes a long time and it's noisy as hell. Hashtag retro lives matter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I said, we're only, we're only a couple of um, episodes into both of these. We're kind of going to do them in tandem and probably release them um, each game like once a week. I, you know, you're, but, you're, you're actually making me pretty interested to go back and play, um, play that alien isolation game. I have not played that. Uh, would you guys say? I mean, you're, you're definitely describing like the tone that it plays. Do you? Is, is this like in terms of the gameplay itself? Is this 
I mean, is this engaging enough? You, you'd like right now, you'd probably recommend people take a look at it. Cause it, it didn't get great reviews when it came out. I was, but you guys sound like you're enjoying it. The, the, the biggest complaint I've heard is that the first, like, you know, five, six, eight hours is really, really good. It's just that the game feels too long because you're just kind of doing the same stuff for too long and that it kind of gets a little repetitive and monotonous. Um, but from what I've experienced so far, if you like a stealth-based game where, you know, it's about survival, resource management, being very quiet and stealthy, it's top tier. Like, it's really, really good. I can't speak for the whole, does it get repetitive? Because I haven't gotten that far yet. But from what I've seen so far, it's it's incredibly good. And then for the people that um, may have not liked it, it, it could be maybe they're not really into that story. Like if you're yeah, into yeah. the Aliens franchise, you know that you're going to get the story slowly because you're slowly getting what happened. Usually you're thrown into a scene, everything's great, like, okay, and you have to getting out or, you know, defeating or getting new. So and it could just be preference, but this is slow progression, figuring thing. you're not gang, you know, five out, like, okay, I'm done. Okay. No, no, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, kind of keen to see how you guys finish this one out because it's, it's actually starting to make me kind of interested in the game. Uh, what, and I will note this one thing in the alien, alien game, not the AVP necessarily, other than like aliens, the original AVP, the games that usually had these, had these, uh, had that kind of, you know, you know, that, that style, the Xenomorph style stuff in it. If I remember right, they always were really good with their with sound play which it sounds like what you're describing like sound matters and it's a it's almost it's a really uh tangible part of the environment um the ubiquitous beep of the uh, of the motion detector if you will okay and, and your watch like you hear yeah. your watch yeah. ticking you hear clock you hear that's pretty that's pretty bomber actually yeah yeah i think we were sitting there and i'm like do you're clicking i'm like what the hell i'm like is that my watch like you become very aware of how silent it is around you and you're like holy shit like and anything like i do makes noises sounds and, and the ai is extremely aggressive like it they this isn't like metal gear solid stupidity of of guards like I barely poke my head out and I'm thinking like, okay, I'm in the shadow. And she looks right at me and she's like, there's someone there. I'm like, Oh shit. Like it wasn't like to a point where it's unfair, but it's like, you have to be really careful. Like the, the, I felt like the AI could actually have like the eyesight of a normal human being rather than the, here's my cone of vision that you usually get in stealth games. So it comes down to a lot of cunning and trying to trick the AI. And, you know, as I learned real quick, you don't always the game doesn't expect you to have perfect stealth i think that in some cases you're meant to kind of tip them off and you just have to book it um which i learned real quick so i kept trying to sneak around and finally i was like i'm just gonna like bang on the wall over here make them come around the corner i'm gonna jump in this air event and slip past and i just ran for it and that's actually what what got me through and there was um actually dialogue from the npcs that kind of made me believe that was what the intended uh, course of action was so there's lots of different ways you can you can kind of play each encounter and and try to and try to you know get around them and stuff but uh yeah overall just it's a really good experience i'm it's hard to play like in big long sessions because it kind of gets you so worked out that you're like okay i need to I need to take a break here um but you know i bought it for 20 bucks off of amazon for physical copies so it's 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 an older game um i think it was originally on playstation 3 or it was kind of in that that PS3, PS4 honeymoon phase where they made it for both. Um, so don't expect like, you know, top notch graphics here, but it, it's, it's, you know, in terms of gameplay, in terms of sound design, um, in terms of, you know, the universe, it, it, 
they, they're very true to kind of the aesthetic that you would expect um, of the Aliens universe in terms of what things look like and how it sounds and feels. And it's just overall really good immersion, really good experience. So, you know, we'll, we'll get those episodes posted in the next couple, like, uh, I think I've got like maybe eight episodes of Prey left. So that's like four weeks. So probably like next month, you'll start to see the, uh, the gameplay for Aliens come out. And we'll, uh, you know, you can decide from there what you think. And we'll, we'll keep chugging along. And as we get further in, we'll give kind of a more in-depth review of what we think and, and see if that kind of grind starts to you know come into play that people were complaining about. But like I said, man, um, just playing for like two, three hours so far, it's, it's a really good experience. All right, so we got... Two more reviews here. Um, I know Jay wanted to talk about the Call of Duty World War II zombies mode a bit more, and then Bate's going to give us kind of his full and final review on Assassin's Creed Origins, and so he finished that this week. So, uh, Jay, you want to talk about zombies a bit? Uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be pretty brief about it. It's I, I didn't touch on it much uh, when we talked a little bit about uh, COD World War II last week. Uh, I've I've dug a little bit more into the game, specifically the zombie mode and the multiplayer. Uh, I, I gotta tell you, like Zell, I think his, his boss, one of his friends, uh, you know, is a big zombie mode fan and I can absolutely see why I've toyed around with it in a couple of the, the previous iterations, but this is really fun. It, it is, it is a combination, uh, campaign slash, you know, horde mode style event. I mean, you're definitely, I mean, there's definitely like shades of like doom that, that you're playing, you like classic, classic doom. Uh, but it's really well done. I mean, it's just really, really well done. Uh, all the visuals, the sound. It, 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 listening to Livy describe some of the gameplay you guys were having, where, hey, I haven't seen a bad guy in a while, and you know, I'm. It's about due for a jump scare, and boom, there it is. Uh, really well done. Uh, the timing, the pace of it's pretty good. The voice acting is absolutely spot on which is kind of the par for the course for EA for Call of Duty nowadays. Uh, but you, you, you basically go to this, uh, this place called Middleburg and you're, you're making your way down to, into this like labyrinthian sort of Nazi experiment um, where they're trying to figure out how, how to basically create uh, undead soldiers or, or you know, super soldiers, so to speak, uh, as the war is winding down for Germany and they start cranking out all, all the Wunderwaffes, uh, uh, the wonder weapons. So, which, which is, that was a real thing. I mean, not the zombie part necessarily, but they, they, a lot of the technological innovation that came out of the Germans in World War II generally happened from 1944 to 1945 at the waning years of the war when Hitler was, need a wonder weapon that will change the war. And then they were pushing out, you know, one-off prototypes onto the battlefield for all kind of stuff. Um, that's sort of the vibe, but the, uh, the graphics, phenomenal, very scary, uh, surprisingly so for a Call of Duty game. Nowhere nearly like what you guys are describing, but it's it's pretty solid. Uh, and David Tennant is great, by the way. It's kind of the protagonist's voice. So it's surprisingly good, uh, I, I would have to say. And you definitely get some cool weapon effects that you can that, that get applied later in the game, later in the zombie mode. Um, and the way it saves, it's like uh, you don't have to keep fighting your way back through all the way through the waves. So it's definitely a progressive save. Uh, so I, I would, I mean, I could absolutely see why people buy this and play just that and maybe get into the, into the multiplayer, maybe. Uh, but it's really good. It, it, you know, I could, I would be tempted to recommend the game only for that. Um, if that's, your, if that's your thing, you got to kind of really like that style of gameplay to get after that. Uh, for the multiplayer, 
I, I did want to, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk too much about that last time is more about the kind of the campaign mode. Um, all of the good and all of the bad of Call of Duty is definitely at home in that, in that multiplayer. So uh, they, they have revamped a lot of stuff. It's got a big social space now, kind of tower-esque in Destiny, but it's, it's called the headquarters. It's kind of this, you know, looks, looks a little bit like, you know, two, three days after you, you took the beach at Normandy, uh, you know, an allied supply depot kind of thing. Cool things are you do have uh, a firing range where you can basically go down there and test out pretty much every weapon in the game, which is kind of cool once you unlock them anyway. Um, the, the multiplayer modes are pretty varied in terms of what you can do. There's the, you know, kind of your classic, uh, you know, clash map, you know, you're like your team deathmatch style, kind of the, there's not really a capture the flag variant, but there's definitely like zone control things like, you know, kind of your, your two basics. Uh, and they're all very, they're, they're very good. The maps are really solidly done. I mean, they do multiplayer maps really, really well. Uh, but because of the style of gameplay, I, it depth after about two hours of play, it absolutely reminded me why I don't like playing multiplayer call of duty. So pretty much, you know, like one bullet of anything and you're dead. So a submachine gun, a pistol and a sniper rifle, I mean, everything can be equally useful. I mean, within de- within degrees. Uh, shotgun, you may not be able to hit anything with at range, but a submachine gun and a sniper rifle is pretty much what I see anybody playing with. Um, mostly because they're it, they're effective at range and it takes like one hit to kill anybody. And it's just a super super twitchy game. It's not like after playing, uh, you know, playing games where you used to have like some buffer, like actual HP buffer. This is definitely not for me. One thing I do think they did really, really well was their war mode. They've got a mode like a, a you can elect, a, you can kind of select what, what mode you want to play. The war mode is, um, bears a little bit of discussion. I, I don't know if, I don't remember if they've had anything like this in other Call of Duties, but basically it's about, it's a three to four part or four phase fight that you you absolutely have to progress the battlefield. Uh, and and you're, it's it's a very mechanics based fight. So uh, one of the phases is like you have to go secure uh, a enemy headquarters. You can build walls and you can blow walls down with demo charges, a la uh, Rainbow Six. But you've got to hold that you've got to hold that building. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think the attackers have to hold it for 30 seconds to win. And that doesn't sound like much, but it takes a it. It take you a while to hold. That means no, there are no enemy. There's no enemy presence in the building for 30 seconds. That's pretty hard to do, um, in some cases. And then one of the later phases would be uh, you actually have to build a a bridge across a river uh, under fire, and it, which is a very World War II like. I mean, you have to low crawl up, and you've got one or two designated players that literally low crawl crawl up to a semi protected area, and they're having to do button mechanics to like build this tactical bridge, like literally like like pushing beams across it and you know, like building a fucking bridge while they're under like pretty murderous fire from the other side. Uh, it is, it's pretty cool. I mean, and it, it kind of progresses on from there in a couple of steps that it was a really cool, really cool uh, multiplayer experience. The, you know, I need to be on meth and Adderall all at once to be able to play the game sucks. Uh, if it were a slightly different style of, of, you know, you have some HP buffer or 
maybe even a regen mechanic or something like that be a little bit more tolerable. It's very unforgiving in terms of multiplayer, uh, but the but that war mode has is just really really bomber. It reminds me kind of a lot of what we used to describe we wanted out of uh, the planetary control matches in Dust Five One Four of like what you wanted it to be, not what it by any means what it was. Uh, but it's a really cool mechanic. Uh, I just I don't like that style of multiplayer, so I struggle to you know, to have some enjoyment in the gameplay. But I can 100% see why people would want to play it. So if that's your cup of tea, if you kind of like that super super twitchy one hit kill kind of kind of flavor you're all in this will be good the game looks good it's not earth it's not earth shaking graphics but it looks good looks like a good solid current game sounds great uh so uh, overall if call of duty is your thing you'll definitely like this if you like fps shooters uh that give you kind of a triple a experience it's good uh it is that being said it is not for me necessarily it is is not a game that i will just sink some hours into uh it's just just not my style uh zach so anybody got any questions about it if not i can turn it over to bait no man i think that was pretty good pretty good summary so it's that's that's good to hear and i i do appreciate that all right man bait you're up tell us all about the assassin's creed aliens yes um so uh Interestingly enough, um, this re- exact 10th anniversary of uh, the release of the first Assassin's Creed, uh, 2007. Uh, so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so I want to start off with the just the overall world design. The graphics of this game, I said this uh, two weeks ago, um, are absolutely... Everything looks... Um, it looks pretty. There, there weren't any textures that I encountered, um, and I, I've put about 30, 35 hours uh, in game so far. I haven't encountered anything, any bugs, any textures that look off or, or, or what have you. Some of the you've seen, uh, which is good. <laughs> um, I would rather not uh, encounter those. Um, overall, though, as a world design, as, I, as I'm walking from city to city, the world goes from desert city to Nile River Valley extremely well so your different winds you know obviously the desert feels like a desert it's very wide it's dry um, it's expansive it's lonely that's the big the deserts are extremely um, which obviously it's a fucking desert that's what you expect and when it starts to when you get close to a city it, it, you really can tell that you are getting close to a city without having the map you'll see small egyptian villages pop up and there's farms and they've got irrigation going obviously this time uh we're known for they were known for using the nile to their advantage you can see small details like that um as the um, i forgot what they call them doofs i think um are running through the farms it, it, it's nice it, it's a nice uh attention to um, so you go from the desert to the to the outskirts of the city, and then you get into the cities themselves. And really, they're really well done. They're they're populated like I feel like they should be. Um, it's certainly no Paris uh, or London syndicate that are um, that are just inhabited people swarming the streets, and there's no like epic 500 plus NPCs uh, in your cutscenes. Um, but they do. It, it does feel like uh, like a city, like a village. Um, and just their design, you can really tell that, you know, okay, the Alexander and Moss spent a lot of time uh, throughout the story. You can really tell that it's a very, it's a very Greek city and has its, its districts um, almost. Um, uh, you'll have your Egyptian district and then it'll make a hard cut um, to, to a Greek district. 
so so that is that is really cool kind of seeing the uh the divide between the greeks and the Egyptians, and of course later on uh the romans for the third act of um and the same thing with you talking about that that uh that late stuff uh cyrene you go to the city of cyrene uh at one point and i think even the game it's mentioned as being beacon of roman civilization in that uh kingdom and it is very roman you can tell that oh my god this is a roman city this is you know where they're starting to move in to into uh and you know in the cities there is there's a lot to do in the desert in the world as a whole there's a lot to do um which you can't really say for for previous assassin's creed games. um so this one has you know there's hunting and uh, tomb exploring side quests everywhere side quests in every city uh garrison raiding treasure hunting and puzzles um the the, the past games have had you know spaces for you to go and liberate uh districts uh like a captain like a torch and you're done and there are collectibles that you could find um note pages and some of what have you uh, but that was really it. I mean, there were a couple of side quests, but it, it wasn't really anything more than one or two. There are as many side quests in this game, if not a little bit more than there are quests. Uh, I think there were there were thirty. There's thirty hours of, of main main quest content um, uh, that that you know, you worked through, which took you through. It took you through all the major uh, regions. Of the map which is ginormous uh so you go from level one to level 40 or not 40 um where did i stop 35 35 about 1 to 35 and i think the cap is 40 but not um so you are able to to do everything at least once um and and then obviously once you finish the main story you can finish uh your side quest you can do the side quest um which has always case um so just just going uh, going through, um, I'm gonna go back to the cities real quick. Unless somebody hit something, I heard something. Okay, cool. So uh, going back through the cities, um, as you're as you're walking around the uh, the passing dialogue, you will. So what NPCs are shouting at you running by? Uh, it, it is it's good in this one. It's good in the past couple. Um, being able to to get a sense of what's going on uh, at that historical time, so you really get to hear this divide between the Greeks and the Egyptians, and then later on. Uh, the Romans have been unhappy of the occupation and so forth and so on. So I, I read that uh, mechanically, the game is it, it's refreshing. Uh, the combat has been revamped uh, so that it's difficult, but not difficult to where it's like I play this anymore, right? So you're uh, rolling and dodging uh, attacks, um, not just blocking them uh, and and pressing a button to kill somebody. You actually have to hang back for a second, jump in and hit, uh, and then kill the guy. Um, with that said, however, it does you do start to kind of get out um, the of the combat, if you will. So I, I have noticed on a couple of instances where it's like, okay, this guy's gonna do a power attack, gonna jump out, he's gonna he's gonna hold the follow through for the attack for a second or two, and that's when I'm gonna uh, do my hits and then roll right back out. He's gonna attack, and it's gonna that cycle. Um, so so that kind of was something I picked up on. But then again, we do so much with combat. I feel like that is inevitable, right? With just about, there's not gonna. Be Diverse, I guess. Uh, combat that you're guessing is is what I'm trying to say. Um, so you know that that's nice. Um, it's not easy. I think it's one of the, one of the more difficult games that I, as far as Assassin's Creed goes. So constantly dying, which is nice, but also <laughs> also a little bit. Uh, the stealth has really been, it, it's been worked with. It's been worked on and given some. Love. Uh, 
uh, in this iteration. I think that Ubisoft did a job with it. Um, it, and they kind of started to work with this uh, this stealth um, rework. I think he really started introducing the crash. Um, so it is a big part of the game. Uh, even in the desert, it is possible to sneak there. There are a lot of opportunities to be able to hide, uh, which is really cool. So you're able to hide in uh, in nature, in bushes, uh, which I felt was missing in sending obviously, the areas. So having some bushes wasn't, it didn't really fit. Um, but it totally fits now. Um, talked about earlier, um, so so that's nice, and you know you can whistle and blow over the closets and what. So so that's that's very fun. What is lacking though, as far as stealth goes, is is what I'm going to call social stealth. So this idea, and you can really see this in, in the first Assassins, um, where you're having to to push people in the crowd aside while still remain hidden or sit on a bench and, and blend in as you're walking. Um, so it sounds like Zelda, but Dave and Buster's. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Pushing through crowds, um, trying not to be detected, uh, and and I don't know if it's because these cities aren't as populated as the the previous two games, or I mean, even any of the games. At points, it feels like to where it's not it's not needed. I guess um, even in. Um, in all of them, you've been able to walk up beside people, and I think it was groups of three or more, um, and, and be able to blend in uh, with those groups. You can't do that in this game, and, and that actually makes me realize that there aren't groups of people walking around like, uh, <laughs> which is which is kind of um, you. You actually have to where you're, and I, it, it's kind of sad to see that that social stuff go. I I like that a lot, um, and maybe it's just a personal preference, um, but I can understand why. Uh, as far as the setting, um, and I think I think my absolute favorite part of this game is is uh, Sedu is the um, so instead you know past games we've had this you know you're gonna press a button and you're gonna, like super focused uh, with your guy with your assassin and you're you're able to, to pan the camera around and you're picking out your targets picking out your enemies uh, as the assassin. Now you get an eagle and so the eagle obviously it's a bird so it's flying up in the air um, and you get this kind of overhead view of not only the little area you're going to, but everywhere around it. Um, and you can, as far as I know, you can fly as far away from uh, by from the assassin as you want as the eagle. So if you really wanted to fly around throughout all of it as the eagle, uh, obviously you can still you can still pick out enemies and pick out targets um, with uh, with her with uh, Senu. Um, and it's important that you do, <laughs> otherwise you'll be able to find a target. Um, but and, and you pick out stuff like what the enemy is doing, their level, um, we'll get to it here in a second. Um, and so, you know, you pick out an enemy, you look at him, it may tell you that if you're doing, it's doing something at night that they're sleeping or um, they're eating uh, during, um, you know, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Um, during those times of days, or they're guarding, or they're, they're just sitting there defending something. Um, or <laughs> even this kind of baby chuckle, they're relieving themselves. Um, some of the, which kind of adds this uh, re realism almost. So enemies have to take him. Um, so it, it kind of spices things. So instead of getting a guy while he's standing in the gate for the entire day night cycle, I'd be able to follow him until he goes to sleep or until he's turned around far enough away from everybody uh, taking a look. And um, let's see what else. RPG. So this is the first game that is uh, what I'm going to call an RPG um, for the franchise. And obviously, with it being the first, it's going to have its mistakes. 
uh, not mistakes, but it's it's shortcomings as Ubisoft tries to figure out how to emit these more um, elements into into the series now. Um, and we knew it was going to be an RPG. We've known since I think about a year and a half before um, before the the uh, at, at a year and a half before launch, at least a year before the official announcement, um, because Assassin's Creed leaks are pretty damn real, um, that this was going to uh, to a degree. Uh, so obviously there are there are character levels, there are enemy levels, and they're a big deal. If you're a level, let's say like a level 10 uh, character, you're not going to be ta- uh, able to take on a level 12 or a level 13 NPC uh, easily. It's doable, but it's not easy. Um, and if you get a fort full of them, it's going to... Um, and good luck killing anything that's like five levels above you. It's not going to work. Um... And for some reason, maybe it's just me, but the scaling between even just uh, a level or two difference between your character and the guy you're fighting, it feels like a lot. And I don't know if that's because there's only 40 levels in the entire game uh, to where they have to make it such a drastic difference, but it kind of does limit um, as far as story quests. Um, so you can't just blitz through the story. You have to grind at times uh, to get to the at the at least a level below what the game recommends. Um, but obviously, you want to be at the level recommendation um, because you are going to have enemies that are at least a level above what mission. Um, so having to grind between story missions was a little bit annoying, but it was, it was a little bit uh, nice because it forced you to go out and explore uh, explore the world. Um, so as you go through, you're going to get weapons, obviously, and they have their own special abilities, and you can deconstruct the weapons uh, and get crafting materials, which you can use to have your armor, your bracers, and blade, um, as you would expect to do with any RP. Um, but it doesn't feel like there's a big difference, I guess, between a level, let's say, 20 and a level 21 weapon or a level 22 weapon or even a level 25 weapon. Um, as far as, as damage output goes, the only difference it feels like there is between weapons at times is that, okay, one weapon be rare, so it have, it have one ability, whereas a common weapon to use or a, the difference between a rare, a rare weapon and a legendary weapon um, is going to be uh, significant, just because obviously it's a legendary um, opposed to a lower quality. So just sometimes trying to decide, okay, do, is it really worth this one FPS for my sword, let's say, uh, or do I want the sword that has the maybe twenty points, uh, twenty less deep? Um, so that, that that's really. Um, I do like having to be forced to level up my armor, uh, the hidden blade, um, but that that's just me. Um, I think going out and killing some uh, crocodiles or some hippopotamuses has been um, the most challenging. Uh, part at times, I'm just because most there's trying to figure out how to maneuver around that is it ha, ha, has been good. It, it's been good. Um, so let's see the story. The story was my biggest problem. Fuck this game story. It's predictable and it's bland. And in the full thirty hours that I've put into it, I, I've gone from from beginning to end. There's nothing refreshing about the story. There's nothing risky or anything to really grab you uh, to make you care about the story or even the characters. Alright, the, the, the Bayek, the, the main guy that you play as through this journey, he's just, he's cold and he's boring, right? He's static, he doesn't, he's got the same motivation throughout the entire thing. Um, 
and the story really is it's generic right it's all about you bastards you killed my kid now i'm gonna kill you too you're going through and you're doing the same thing, which you could say you do in all the other assassin's creed games but it really it reminded me of how repetitive the first one is the first one you go in you get some information and then you do this other thing and then you kill him and then you go back to where you started and you do the same thing and i think there were like 12 sequences in the first assassin's game and you did the thing the same thing 12 times same exact thing same exact thing. and this you do that as well and it's very repetitive so you kill this one guy and then immediately go back and you kill this other guy at least in the other games it was like you killed this guy and then you did something for two hours and then you killed your next guy this one it's very it's very one two one two right um so that was a little bit annoying and every time there was a cutscene, it was you were always reminded that oh my god the order of ancients the templars killed my son and i'm going to kill them every cutscene, you heard something to that effect and it was just like by the end of it i'm like i'm so sick of hearing about this i i want to i, I just want to stop because i know that in the next sequence i'm gonna in the next cutscene, i'm gonna hear about that again and i know what the fucking story is and in the background of this whole thing, there's this really interesting political story, uh, this political historical story of the, the, the struggle between, between Ptolemy and Cleopatra and the, the Romans uh, right there at the end vying for uh, control of it. Obviously, history tells us how that works out, but in the game, it's, you are, you're almost left guessing like what's going to happen next. Uh, in that in in that regard for, uh, all for that story and at times it was like i want to get lost in the politics of it please put me in that story i want i want to play that story i don't want to play the the revenge story because i feel like that's overdone not just in the in the assassin's creed games but really in any game it, it feels like it's the same damn thing over and over again with a new skin uh, the the aliens which have been another uh plot device in these games thankfully weren't in them in the the in your face like they were in uh assassin's creed 2 brotherhood 3 and 4 um they weren't explicitly there didn't see aliens but you definitely like got this alien vibe but never once was the word alien said right in the games i just mentioned it's like oh my god these are fucking aliens because those the that time frame that you know 1100 to i think 1860-ish is when uh syndicate takes place these people are more advanced scientifically and, and even religiously to be like okay this we don't have to rely on religion to to call these you know gods or aliens um obviously going back to the uh, like i 44 bc as the is the the time that this is happening they're not as modern so they have to use supernatural to explain these things so when you go into the vault and you start to you start to come across these first civilization relics it, it really is oh my god these are the egyptian gods this is the work of Egyptian gods which is really cool um, it, it really is interesting to, to look at how how religion played a part in these characters' lives, right? In the lives of in this society. Um, I, so that I, I enjoyed because the aliens really were fucking annoying. The least favorite part of, my, uh, of the previous games. Now what was just as much the least favorite uh, part of Origins as the, oh my god, you killed my son, was the real life 
portion of of uh, Assassin's Creed Origin. Um, normally, in every game since Assassin's Creed One to uh, Three, you had this. You, you were told the story of Desmond Miles, this kid who found out that his ancestors were assassins, and you slowly watched him. Um, accept that and come to terms with that. And four and um, rogue, they they kind of put it in the first person perspective where you work at Abstergo and you're combing through the memories um, of people of other people who whose ancestors were assassins, right? All in the grand scheme of trying to find these pieces of Eden to take over. All right, well, in this game, you you come out of the animus like really, it, it's very like. It just jerks you. It, it jerks you. Come out of the loading screen. It's like, oh my god, I'm in the, I'm in you know my real life portion. I think there's only two of them uh, that they force you to, which is great. Um, you come out and you're the 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 main character for that isn't. It, it really left me with a lot of questions. Like, why is this character in a cave, a DIY in a DIY uh, DIY in this? Why is why is the character running from Abstergo? Uh, how can they access memories of hers? Uh, and by the way, magic fucking syrup isn't a good excuse. That's not a, that's not a, a plot device. You can't say that. That's like saying because science or because magic. It's it's dumb. Um, and so it, it really wasn't anything to that was gripping, right? At least the story of Desmond was was great. Right? He got pulled out of his his uh, former life as a, as a bartender and he was like forced to, to be the slave chained up to uh, to the animus for abstergos and so you go through and and you come out as this this character and it's like why am i here what am i doing and and as that plot progresses you come to the point where okay it's time for the combat of the real life right where you just get some fucking like masking tape and you tape a tape a razor to your wrist and oh my god you've built a diy hidden blade and then you're gonna go in and kill some guys who are these guys we don't know but they have bows and arrows and they're coming to kill you so you should kill all five of them that uh, presumably abstergo has sent to come kill you um five is not is not the number there were five of them so uh why they didn't send more i don't know the story doesn't explain it um so all that to say that there is no story in the real life uh aspect of origins um which is annoying but it is what it is the, the if you want the story you want the historical story uh you do sit uh, so that's really cool um and that's really everything I wanted to hit on. Um, as far as monetization goes, I didn't really realize that there were loot boxes in the game until I watched the Work the Buy video. Um, and the, the guy who does those got really triggered about the work boxes or the loot boxes, even though they're not in your face. And it's not like, oh my god, you gotta buy my loot box. Um, which apparently, I guess one of them allows you to max out all your gear. At first level, if you buy the, I don't even know how much it costs because I looked. Um, so, I mean, if you want to do that, if you want to drop some money on it, go for it. Cool, it's your money. Um, I don't think it's a big deal that there are loot boxes. Like I said, it's not in your face. Um, so, you know, I, I I didn't know that they were in there until again, like I said, I watched the worth about. Um, but what really has annoyed me, I guess, has been the people online, like on on the Reddit, saying that you know if you buy the game, then you're telling EA Ubisoft to put the boxes in future games, and and you know somehow dropping sixty bucks is going to encourage them, you know monetize the game. 
I don't think that's necessarily true. And uh, maybe you guys have some thoughts on this. But if you really want to stick it to these companies, just don't buy the fucking loot boxes, right? Because and I could be wrong about this, but if they see that the loot boxes aren't generating the money, then they shouldn't put them in in the games, right? Because they're bothered. They're not making any money. The loot boxes really are for those one or two people, I feel like, that are going to to want to be like, oh, okay, I just want to have everything maxed out and a story like that. But I I don't know. That that, that really is just my, my thoughts on the entire um If I had to rate it or whatever, I'd probably about seven out of out of end definitely uh definitely worth picking it up or at least watching somebody string all the cutscenes together on youtube um or, or watch a playthrough but yeah that's assassin's all right man sounds pretty good you pretty thorough review there so uh it's good stuff so i think we're we're pretty good on time here it's been a long show so let's move into shouts real quick and then we'll wrap this thing up so uh, my shout-out is going to be to whoever over at Epic Games decided to put a potion into Fortnite Battle Royale that turns your character into a bush. Um, it's hilarious. You can basically find this legendary potion. If your character drinks it, you you don't really turn into a bush, but you basically put a bush around your body, and if you sit still and crouch, you're almost indistinguishable from a normal bush. It's hilarious. There's some good gameplay out there, so we'll get a link in the description for that. But that was pretty funny. So shout-out to that guy. Um, Zell, you're up. Show's over two hours, I'll pass. Uh-huh. Shout out to a long show. All right, Bate, you're up. Yeah, so, um, like I said, at the beginning of the show, I was out camping in Georgia, um, this past weekend, so that was really fun. I lived off of Red Bull and a mixture of Red Bull and Five Hour Energy. Uh, so I guess shout out to that, uh, shout out to camping and, uh, and friends and driving. Driving sucks. All right, sounds good. Livy, you still there? Shout out to, uh, Bate's renal blood kidney. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, that that's eh, not to make it all sad, but no, I I do want to give a shout out to uh, people at this um, who are probably not losing their job, just relocating and probably finding something different that they find is maybe fulfilling and gives them something to work on that they can. All right, and Jay. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'll kind of uh, ride the coattails of Livy there, and I'd like to give a shout out to everybody that works themselves out of a job. You know, like. Game developers, firefighters, soldiers, shit like that. Is when something goes sideways or you want something you don't have, you got to pay somebody to come in and like fix that. So just remember, whenever they get done fixing it, they got to wait for somebody else's shit to go sideways for them to get another job. So shout out to all those folks. And Jay just described the entire plot of the Metal Gear Solid series. Okay. Word. <laughs> Um, so with that guys we're, we're going to close this one up it's been over two hour show recording here so I uh, want to thank you for, for joining in um, do remember that we do have that copy of uh, Destiny 2 for PS4 up for grabs um, just go to the website check out the uh, post kind of out detailing all the uh, rules and stuff uh, deadline for entries is November 17th so be sure to, to enter in that and hopefully you can win a copy of uh, Destiny 2 but with that said guys thanks for tuning in have a safe night see you next week